This is the Manabytes Podcast. I'm your host, Landon DeCrastis, and Manabytes Podcast is a ministry of ministrysauce.com. So go check it out. Check out the blog and the different things that I've written over time. On there you'll find different things like devotionals, just different thoughts that I've had, perhaps excerpts from other writings, or something to that effect. First of all, before I get started in the subject today, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the elephant in the room, perhaps. If you're listening to my voice right now, you'll notice that there's something a little off, and because it's winter, because I'm recording this in a time in which temperatures have fluctuated and um, the plague, so to speak, has been passed around my house with my children and my wife, you'll notice that my voice sounds a little different, so to speak. And I just wanted to acknowledge that a little bit first and just say, hey, let's let's just be graceful about this and let's have mercy on each other. No, uh, yeah, my v- voice is not uh, so great right now. And uh, today as I'm recording this, I'm very grateful that I didn't have to preach this week because um, my voice would have hurt a lot. But I'm getting better, so continue to pray for me as you um, listen to this. Perhaps as you listen to this, I might not even have the situation going on at all. But anyway, so I wanted to get to the subject today because I think it's a very, very important subject to talk about, especially whenever we are talking about ministry in any context whatsoever. Because if you're a pastor, if you're a church leader, if you're a Christian, you are called to ministry. Some people are called to ministry in a professional setting, like they're getting paid full time. Um, They're doing everything from hospital visits to helping people in recovery to uh, preaching every Sunday, Bible studies, things like that. This is what we normally call a pastor uh, or whatever the case may be. You know, you might be doing that in a lay ministry setting, whatever. Or maybe you're a Christian who has dedicated their lives to helping people to grow in their faith. So one of the things that you will uh, notice if you're in any of these contexts are that people sometimes are very difficult to deal with. So perhaps you have a person who is dealing with uh, forgiveness issues, or maybe you have someone who is dealing with something that they're struggling with on a regular basis. Perhaps you're dealing with even someone who is dealing specifically with spiritual immaturity issues. Maybe they value some things that are not salvation-oriented, heaven or hell, or whatever the case may be. Or maybe they're a person who has even been in the faith a very long time, but they're struggling perhaps with some prejudices or some things that they have never quite dealt with emotionally, mentally, uh, or even spiritually. In any context, in this You know, what I just described actually covers a myriad of different kinds of people and perhaps anyone that we deal with. Um, There's always going to come that point in time where that person that we're dealing with, that person that we're helping to grow, that person that we're holding accountable has to take another step in order to move on in their spiritual growth. So perhaps for you, If you remember the time where you had to take that next step more recently, and by the way, we're always taking those kind of steps in our life. We're never 100% there until we're in heaven. 
but perhaps you remember a recent time in which you had to say, okay, something has to change here, and I have to be willing to allow it to change. I was talking with someone recently who is an addict, and um, they have kind of fallen off the wagon. They have kind of gotten back into their old habits. And I have told that person, you know, the things that have made you comfortable till now have brought you exactly to this place. Uh, One way that you can say this to condense the thought is change your habits, change your life. So I offered this person some ways out. I said, you know, we could do this, this, or this. And all of these things would be healthy. All of these things would provide a lot of accountability for you. But one of the options that provided the most accountability, they weren't so much into because they're scared. Now, we openly acknowledge the fear. We openly acknowledge that this was something that they were not comfortable with. But I had to share with them that this comfort, this preference, this fear, this holding back is what has gotten you into this mess in the first place. I wanted to say it in a non-condemning way, but also in a way that was very firm. So think about this. Whatever the case may be, whether it be addiction that you're dealing with or just trying to get maybe more time in scripture, more time in prayer, trying to change your life for the better, there's always this inner voice in your mind that tells you you cannot do it. There's no way that you can get any better. There's no way that you can improve. There's no way that you can transition from this particular point in your life until the next higher point in your life, whatever that may be, whatever that looks like for you. Perhaps you have wanted to get into shape and you have tried so many times to to kick the food habit, and uh, I'm talking to myself here, or to, to work out and to do the things that you know you need to do. But perhaps so many times you have like we said it earlier, fallen off the wagon or not followed through or went to the gym for two weeks and you don't feel like going anymore, fallen into your old habits again. That inner voice will say that you're not good enough, you you can't do anything right. That inner voice will also tell you that you'll never be able to change. Perhaps you even deal with people in your own family, people that are close to you, who look at you trying to change your life, trying to get better, trying to do the things that you need to do, and they've supported you so many times. They've supported you all your life, but they're just afraid that perhaps you're not going to follow through again, and perhaps they're the ones telling you that you're never going to change. You're always going to stay the same. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's um, you know, a romantic relationship in which you have not followed through with something or you have not kept a promise or uh, maybe you, know, you can just write the script yourself for, for you know what I'm talking about. And perhaps this person might whisper to you or even yell at you that you'll never change. You'll always be the same person. And you begin to believe that yourself. Perhaps it's a situation with money that a lot of people have issues with. 
You want to save money and you want to invest it and you want to do very wise things, but you keep falling off the wagon. You keep going backwards. You take two steps forward and three steps back. You know the story. You've been there. We've all been there. And you convince yourself that there is no possible way you can move forward. You see, sometimes we get into these habits and we get into these uh, reoccurring cycles that whenever we do fail or whenever we do step out of the line that we wanted to, we start to think of ourselves as complete failures who will never be able to to measure up. And the, the still small voice, the negative voice in our minds, will always tell us that it can't happen. We can't do it. That's the accuser whispering the, the enemy in our minds telling us, that we are never going to be good enough. So what what do we do? Uh, we start to believe it, and we start to medicate ourselves in whatever way our habits dictate. And whether that habit is spending, whether it's some chemical addiction, whether it's some relational isolation, perhaps, and we begin to beat up ourselves And the cycle of feeling sorry for ourselves takes us in a deep spiral once again. So here we are on the bottom level, on the bottom floor, looking up, wishing we could have had the progress that we could have had if we would have just, you know, not really ignored the failure, but moved past it. And we regret the decisions between then and now. This is a very difficult subject because there are two sides to it. First, it's the inner side. We're talking to ourselves. We're saying we're not good enough. And then second of all, it's the outward uh, coming in. It's those people telling us that, or not giving us the time of day. Maybe they're not telling us anything. They're not giving us the time of day because, oh, they've seen it before. So-and-so has tried to change, but they never can. And it seems like that it's just never going to happen. Perhaps you're a person, let's move away from ourselves, Uh, perhaps you're a person who has interacted with someone like this, and that person has made so many promises. That person has absolutely laid their life on their integrity and has said to you, I am not going to fail this time, watch me. And we start to see them um, making great progress. So... What do we do with those people? Some of us will talk about those people behind their backs, and they'll see the great progress they're making, but they're just waiting for the shoe to drop. They're just waiting for that person to fail because they have done it 16 times already or 25 times already or 150 times already, and they've tried so much, but every single time they have tried, they have failed. And we, for some reason, and I don't know why we do this, and, well, I guess it's kind of obvious, but for some reason we kind of assume that they're going to fail again. We kind of, it would be great if they didn't, in the back of our minds, we hope that they don't, but we kind of know that they will. In our minds, when people have failed us, for some reason as humans, it is so tempting to label them based on how they have failed us. For instance, if someone has lied to us, even if it's once, great person of great integrity, let's, give a, let's, let's go to the extreme here. Person of great integrity, not, never done anything wrong in our minds, and they, they hung the moon for all we know. And then they lie to us. 
in our minds, we automatically label that person as a liar. So everything that they do after that, even if they've repented, reconciled, they've kind of been very vulnerable, transparent about everything they have done, and they're very, very sorry and and penitent about that, we label them, it's very tempting to at least, we label them as a liar. In our minds, everything that they do after that, we start to see through the filter of them being a liar. Oh, well, they probably did that because, and we think that they have some sort of motive behind everything. We begin to to develop this bitterness towards them, and it just seems like it won't go away. Perhaps someone stole from us that one time whenever we were in high school or something like that. So we see them uh, 15, 20 years later, and in our minds, even though they're completely different people, uh, in our minds, they're thieves, you know. Perhaps that you dated someone and they did something to you or, you know, and I'm not talking about something extreme. I'm just talking about, you know, you broke up with them for a very superficial reason. But in your mind, um, you know, they just weren't the one for you. You see them 20 years later and you still have that label in your mind of the person that they were. Like I said uh, a few minutes ago, this is very tempting for us as humans because we just want to label people like this so that we put them in a certain category so we don't have to give them the time of the day or we don't have to interact with their uh, personality. We don't have to interact with forgiveness or anything like that. We, we kind of push them to the side and we just say, that person is a failure, let's move on. Why do we do this? And in a way, we do this because we don't want to be disappointed by them anymore. And as a culture, we are very afraid, deathly afraid, of being disappointed. So there is a natural reaction within our minds and our hearts that kind of puts a callus or a protection around our heart and mind that we don't want people to hurt us ever again. And we don't want to even put ourselves near any sort of hurt or disappointment, so we try to avoid it at all costs. This is a different podcast entirely that I'm going to get to later on, perhaps in the next month or two, but we cannot be so afraid of disappointment. We need to be able to, as as responsible, maturing adults and Christians, we need to be able to embrace disappointment and help us learn from it. So anyway, moving that aside, what what happens when a person has done something so bad, we can't give them the time of day ever again? Sure, we understand that we have to be able to process in a healthy way forgiveness, whatever that looks like for us. Perhaps we have to go through therapy. Perhaps they have hurt us so incredibly bad. Can And this is the whole uh, subject behind this podcast today. I know I, I did a huge, huge foundational introduction, but here is the central question. Can someone actually change? Someone I've been able to minister to and talk to a lot lately um, is someone who has actually committed murder. Uh, this person is obviously in prison, will be for most of his life, and I kind of wonder sometimes this question about the outside looking in, about people dealing with him and, and trying to work through forgiveness, because, you know, that's that's something that everyone has their different timetable on, and I have no right to say you need to forgive right now. 
we're moving beyond that conversation. But the question is, can this person or any person in general who has done something very, very wrong, can they change? On the outset, we might say, of course they can. A person who's done something bad, if I don't know them or if I don't interact with them, if they're not in my family, if I'm not close to them, of course they can change. We need to give everyone second chances. But it seems like we tend to do the opposite or we say the opposite when someone is close to us. When we love someone and they have betrayed us, they've betrayed our confidence, they have betrayed our trust, and whenever we are hurt by them, everything they do in the future is filtered once again through that hurt. So can someone change? On the outset, we say yes, but if they're close to us or they were close to us and we have broken that relationship, we say no, they'll never change. The thing is, when we look at it from a Christian perspective, we actually have to embrace the fact that anyone can change. Because the things that have led us to this point don't have to be the things that lead us beyond this point. The pain that we have brought into this moment, the baggage that we have brought into this moment, and I'm speaking to us, for us to reflect on personally and externally, But the things that have brought us to this moment, the emotional baggage, the physical baggage that we have brought to this moment can be dropped, but it has to be worked through. It has to be processed. And we don't have to take that into the future with us. We don't have to pass on generational sin because we can't let go of something. Now, that's easier said than done because I don't know what you're going through and I don't I don't pretend to say that, oh, I completely understand. But what I can say is that if we worship the God who created the universe just with his voice, it is absolutely possible that he can absolutely recreate our minds and our hearts. Sure, maybe that might be a little easier for us to accept about ourselves, But what about that person who has failed us so many times? Do we believe the God that created the universe who came down in the form of a baby, which we just got done um, talking about in the Christmas season, uh, do we think that this same God can change others? And if we do believe that, if we are willing to admit that, are we willing to actually act on it? That we walk into relationships open-armed, Yes, that actually does mean that we're opening ourselves for disappointment. But it also means that we're opening ourselves to trust. So can someone change? I absolutely believe so. Look at scripture and we see how many times Jesus told us to forgive. And he says 70 times 7. And and we can get into a whole exegetical thought about what he was really saying there. And You don't stop forgiving. You give grace abundantly and all those kind of things that we live in generosity with one another and with ourselves. But how many of us actually do that? We might nod our heads if a sermon is about that, but, you know, let's be honest, how many of us actually live it? Can someone change? That's the central thought. I believe they can. I believe that people can change so drastically that when you look at them, they look physically different. 
I believe people can change so drastically that when you look into their eyes, as it's as if you're looking into a different soul that existed before. So many humans can be tainted, and we all are at some point in our lives, with just a stained darkness in our souls. And that soul, that darkness, can be cleaned and the light can be let in. If we believe that today, then we are allowing ourselves to embrace freedom in abundance. Can someone change? Absolutely. We see evidence in scripture, and I guarantee you that you know a Christian, perhaps elderly person, or someone who has been in the faith for any period of time, who can attest to the fact that they were cleansed entirely. They still mess up, they still do things that are not right, they still have those thoughts, they still have temptations, but they are people who are radically transformed by the gospel. God can do anything. Let's let him. Thank you so much for listening to the Manabites podcast. If you wouldn't mind sharing this, subscribing, following, whatever social media dictates, thank you so much.